Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Welcome to Big Blue Avenue. I'm your host, Tom Scudetta, joined alongside my co-host, Hank and Victor. Hank, very excited for you to join me tonight and really looking forward to the show. Yeah, no, I'm pretty excited too. This should be a really fun episode. Got a couple guests for you guys today. And um, most importantly, what I'd like to say is this is one of the first times in a while that I've been legitimately thrilled after a giant win. Waking up the next morning after beating a hated rival in Philly, Tom, how did that make you feel? It felt great. It was the first time I wasn't going to sleep annoyed for the first time in four years. It was definitely great to get a win against the Philadelphia Eagles. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on all our platforms. Subscribe to our Facebook page here at Review and Preview Sports, bringing you all sorts of great content. Follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview and subscribe to the audio version of this podcast on the anchor.fm slash review and preview. And we do have a YouTube channel. Make sure to go check us out there at review and preview sports. <laughs> and the quick plug for tonight is our two special guests. That's right. Two tonight at seven thirty PM, Sam Cardona and sporty Jordy will be joining us. Sam is a giants fan from Staten Island, host of the girl who talks sports podcast. Make sure to go check her stuff out. And then sporty Jordy, who has her own platform as well. You can check us out in our social media accounts for their graphics. And we're really looking forward to having both of them on. And Sporty Jordy, actually, the night the Eagles won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, she was trying to get a Nick Foles tattoo in Philadelphia the night they won the Super Bowl. She was not successful. But um, <laughs> And James wants to ask, did Hank shave? Yes, he did. Uh, he failed no shave November, James. Yeah, no, you know what happened? I was growing it out for so long from late October. It would have been considered cheating if I had really started participating in it because by the beginning of November, it was, all, it was all fully Grizzly Adams-like, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, I can only keep that thing for so long. It happened. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you're a funny guy, Hank. Always love doing these shows with you. So, um, before we move, before we move any further, so how the show is going to work tonight, folks, is we're going to go over some of the Giants Eagles Week Ten recap. We're going to show you a few highlight videos, uh, go over a couple clips, kind of give you the nuts and bolts of that. So Hank will get us started with the first half, and then I'll progress through the second half, and then we'll get Sam and Jordy up shortly after that. But before we head into this game. Excellent team win, 27-17 to 17 over Philadelphia. This is the first time the Giants beat the Eagles in four years. And without further ado, Hank, you can take the baton, and let's get the show rolling. 
All right, so on the very first play from Scrooge after the Giants would receive the opening kickoff, Daniel Jones would be sacked for five yards. Didn't look like a great start, but right after that, Jones would hit Slayton for a 22-yard pass, and then Wayne Gallman had a very big 17-yard run, and this would lead to our very first highlight of the game. Daniel Jones taking the ball. He had run it 34 yards for a Giants score. This time, no tripping whatsoever. Giants would take a 7-0 lead. And Tom, let's give the viewers the highlight of this, shall we? Yeah, uh, this was a very, very intelligent run. It was the exact same run that Daniel Jones had the 80-yard run on the Eagles back in week seven. To the right, Jones out of the gun. Handoff Gallman runs right in. No, Jones keeps it. He runs left to the 20, 10, 5, and he's in for the touchdown. 34 yards for Daniel Jones. He faked me out again. (laughs) The Gallman and Jones goes around the left end, and this time he doesn't fall. All right, so here we are again, folks. If you're watching this right now, look at that block by Caden Smith, Austin Mack. Beautiful job by the receivers clearing the way. The offensive line got some excellent movement. Daniel Jones scores a 34-yard touchdown run. And Hank, honestly, that was my favorite play of the game. It really set the tone for this Giants offense. And he faked out Bob Papa. You know, I'm really surprised these reporters and play-by-play announcers continue to get faked out by this. Eventually, you should have in your notes that Daniel Jones is a runner. Don't be surprised by this. But, you know, I guess it's tough when the cameraman follows the lead back sometimes. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that sounds about right. And it's like the last – it's like what I said on the last play. You blink once and you could miss the whole thing. But anyways, Philly would get the ball for their first possession. They would respond to going all the way to the Giants 22. But, of course, they would end up having to settle for a 40-yard Jake Elliott field goal to make it 7-3. But the Giants were not done. On their next possession, they would go 75 yards on a 13-play possession. They chewed up six and a half minutes on that clock. And at the end of that play, we get a two-yard touchdown run from Wayne Gallman to make it 14-3 Giants. And... I got to say, this was another play that set the tone because Wayne Gallman has shown that he is very much capable of being a starting running back right now with the absence of this man, number 26, Saquon Barkley. Wayne Train, baby. Wayne Train. Yes. All aboard. Oh, yeah. You better believe I'm all aboard the Wayne Train. The the, um, afterwards, they would the both of them would exchange punts and Philadelphia. They would punt on the next three drives and um but one of the drives in the sequence, it would start. Philly would actually start on their own six-yard line, and you know why that is? Because of uh, the one and only uh, number nine, Big Red, and um, we got one. We got that punt to show you, do we not? Yeah, this is a great job by Riley Dixon, and let's take a look. Await the punt from Riley Dixon, and a good wow, Dixon, an absolute. Blast over the head of Rigger inside the 10 yard line, and that'll be down near the six. Here it is in slow motion, folks. Riley Dixon, boom, good protection in slow motion, great coverage down the field, and it takes a friendly New York Giants bounce down by CJ Board at the Philadelphia six yard line. Hank, this was by far the most impressive play of Riley Dixon's short five-year career so far in the NFL. Yeah, and, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's probably been one of the 
you can even make an argument that he's been one of the top five players in the Giants this year. And I'm also going to say that he's one of the best punters in the league. The only punter I can think of that's better would be uh, Johnny Hecker of the LA Rams. But anyways, on Philly's next possession, they actually looked like they were getting momentum. I mean, they, they were facing a third and four. Darnay Holmes took an ill-advised penalty. It's one of those penalties that I would describe as basically a turnover by the defense, if you know what I mean, because the Eagles would have had to punt. But you know what? That actually didn't matter. And as it turns out, I got a fun fact for you. This would be the only time the Eagles would get a first down on when they were on third. And the Giants defense stepped it up big time. They ended up forcing the Eagles to not get a first down in the next three plays. And they made a huge stop on Miles Sanders, which was sandwiched in between two Winston completions. So Giants would get the ball back. And on their instant possession, the Giants would also go to midfield. But unfortunately, they stalled there. So they had to punt as well. But fortunately, no big deal. The Giants defense was on their game. They responded with a huge three and out. And you know, even though they would get the ball back in good field position right at the end of half and they would go three and out again. But you know what, Tom, when when the first half ended and the Giants were up 14-3, I remember saying to myself, 11-point lead in the first half, I'll take that. But then again, also, I remember having second thoughts because too much smooth sailing. It's Philadelphia. We've seen this movie before, haven't we? But, we have. We but have. you know what? This game was different. And, Tom, I'm going to pass this on to you for the second half. And before we get there, folks, just want to remind the viewers that at 7.30, make sure to stay tuned. Sam Cardona from the Girl Who Talks Sports Podcast and Sporty Jordy will be joining us. First time we will ever have four uh, people on our show at once on our 10th episode ever of Big Blue Avenue. Really looking forward to that. So, yeah, heading into halftime, I was a little disappointed. We couldn't get points on that last drive of the first half. But, hey, the Giants did a really good job overall getting a 14 to three lead similar start to the week seven tilt. So in the second half, Philadelphia, they would, they'd start out with the football, right? And Boston Scott had that insane touchdown on the fifth play of that drive. He put the Eagles right back into the thick of things, 56 yard touchdown run. And, you know, the rushing numbers at the end for the Eagles were a little bit inflated because of that 56 yard run. And then, Doug Peterson loves to go for two. I actually did get a stat from Sporty Jordy that the Eagles go for two nearly 50% of the time after scoring a touchdown. I believe the exact number is 49% of the time. Don't quote me on that. But Miles Sanders would end up converting the two-point try, and the Eagles ended up going 84, 85 yards in two and a half minutes to score 14-11. We have a good uh, high-scoring baseball game right now. So a <laughs> little awkward score, but 14-11, Giants are still ahead. The Giants, however, they would respond, and they would respond with a vengeance. It was a big drive of their own that was capped off by another one-yard touchdown run by Wayne Goldman, who's been finding the end zone. He's been meeting a lot of ends lately at the end of drives, and the drive was highlighted by a couple of excellent catches. Sterling Shepard, you know, it's great to see him healthy during this stretch. Uh, big 27-yard catch on this drive, and then Darius Slayton, not Darius Slayton, sorry, Golden Tate, the veteran had a 38-yard catch after getting benched that one week, which ultimately led to this Wayne Goldman touchdown that we're going to show you guys now, break it down, and explain to you why the Giants were able to score on this play. Jones, handoff, Goldman runs right in for the touchdown, Giants. So they answer the Philadelphia touchdown with a 75-yard drive, and Wayne... 
So this isn't as pretty as Goldman's first touchdown where he leaped over the pile, but it's pretty darn effective. Look at all these double teams. You see Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo take out their man. Cam Fleming and Kevin Zeitler, another double team. Gates, Lemieux, another double team. You have Elijah Penny following Zeitler and Fleming who are pushing, and that's Fletcher Cox. That's a big guy. They're pushing into the end zone. Matt Pert is in as an extra offensive lineman, as you can see. And Elijah Penny does his job as the fullback, taking out the linebacker. Gallman runs in right behind them. That was executed to perfection. And that's why I think the fullback is such an underrated position. It's more of a situational position now that you think about it. Uh, It's been replaced by a lot of backup tight ends on rosters, Hank. But the fact that the Giants have a true fullback on their roster, it speaks volumes to their running game. And it's really helped them over the past few weeks. Because if you remember back about a decade or two ago when we had guys like Tiki Barber behind Greg Camella and Jim Finn, and then Brandon Jacobs behind Madison Hedgecock and Henry uh, Ahmad Bradshaw behind Henry Hynoski. Those were great blockers, and that really set the tone for the Giants' run game. Hank, uh, what were your thoughts on this touchdown by Wayne Train? Oh, I loved it. I think it was another great example of the Giants' effectiveness in the trenches, and yeah, I was really impressed. Everyone did their job in that sequence blocking, and I think that definitely was the big reason that Wayne Gallman was able to score. And I'm sure if you ask him, he will, he will tell, say the same thing. He was very thankful that all those guys did their job and were able to get him that path to the end zone. And I must say Wayne Gallman was very athletic too, jumping over everybody and, and just scoring and plowing through great play all around. Love you love to see it. Two rushing touchdowns in this game against the Eagles. So the Eagles would get the ball back. Now they're down 21 to 11. So down by 10 points, they would score. So now we got into, uh, you know, a good a good role in this game where we saw a lot of scoring. 75-yard uh, drive on eight plays. Carson Wentz would lead the Eagles down the field. A five-yard run by third-string running back Corey Clement, who this was only carry of the game. He scores a touchdown. But – Carson Wentz would get sacked on the two-point attempt. And when you're down 21 to 17, the last thing you want to do is go for two. And if they got the two, it would have made the score 21-19. I'm a little old school, guys, folks watching. I'm a firm believer you take the points and don't reach for points too early in the game because then you're distancing yourself. And the Eagles aren't very successful on two-point tries. I mentioned a stat just a minute ago, 49% of the time, And you have a more than capable kicker in Jake Elliott, one of the better kickers in the NFL. Just kick the extra point. Go down by three, Hank. There's no reason why Doug Peterson did that. It's an unnecessary gamble. Yeah, I've been seeing him. I've noticed he's had a real tendency to do that a lot this year. And to to tell you the honest truth, I think that was the play right there that told me the Giants were going to win. Because the Eagles really, I think they were taking an unnecessary risk. I mean, you're, you're going to be within a field goal. You're right. You're getting right back in the game. Do you really need to get two points when, like, a field goal would have tied the game and you had plenty of chance to take the lead afterwards anyways? No. I think, and the fact that the Giants were able to stop them, it, it tells you a lot about them as a whole in this game. It, it shows you their attitude as a whole as well, just them wanting being able to stop Philly, not wanting another letdown after what happened a few weeks ago. 
Folks, make sure to comment in the stream with any questions or thoughts you may have about this game. We would love to take them from you. And just another quick reminder at 7.30, Sam Cardona and Sporty Jordy will be joining us on the show. Sam is a Giants fan like us, and Sporty Jordy is an Eagles fan, so really looking forward to speaking with her. You're right, Hank. It was a bad call, but despite that, the Eagles had the momentum back in this game. They're down by four. They're scoring. Their offense has woken up. Uh, they ended up forcing a Giants three and out, but then the Giants, this time on defense, they'd get back. Patrick Graham ignited uh, a fire in this team, and they were able to respond, and they would end up doing the same thing. Another exchange in punts. The Giants would get the ball back in Eagles territory, it was a great 20-yard punt return by Jabril Peppers. Great blocking by the special teams unit. As if you want to watch that punt return by Jabril Peppers, folks, I recommend going on YouTube and looking up the Joe Judge report. He breaks it down perfectly, and the special teams is really helping the Giants win games this year very quietly, uh, at least the last two games that they've won against Washington and Philadelphia, two critical key divisional games. And on this drive, they get the ball in Philadelphia territory, and Jones would run the ball into the end zone for what we thought would be a 14-yard touchdown run, his second touchdown run of the game, but it was nullified, unfortunately, by an Andrew Thomas holding. So the drive would stall. Graham Gano would kick a 35-yard field goal. So at this point, Hank, we were up 24-17, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. The Giants are doing good. They're probably going to hold on, but on the ensuing possession, Philadelphia would drive down to the Giants' 36, uh, bad roughing the passer penalty against Leonard Williams, but the defense would respond. They put the Eagles in a fourth down situation. This was a huge play in this game, uh, and what set up the fourth down was it was Carson Wentz trying to throw to Jalen Rager on a little pick play where James Bradbury batted the ball down, and that helped the Giants get the football back, and let's show the folks what we're talking about right here. James Bradbury, we talk week in and week out, why is this guy one of the best cornerbacks in football? Why is this probably the best Giants cornerback we've had in a couple of decades? Well, we're going to explain why right now, and it's fundamentals and discipline, and here's what Bradbury did on this play. On third and three, Wentz has it tipped away from Rigger by James Bradbury. So we're going in slow motion a little bit. You can see there's a pick here by number 13. Bradbury has to battle around right the there pick. With number two being glued on by his defensive player. And now Bradbury's got to track over the top right there and then break that pass up as it's getting ready to be caught right there, those sticks for the first down. Now just watching technique-wise, Brad does a really good job right here of having presence of mind, of knowing pre-snap. you got two close receivers right here in a short yardage situation. It's probably going to be some kind of movement right there to free up one of these receivers, so knowing that someone's got to move. You can see the slightly different levels right there with him and Darnay, okay, to make sure not run into each other on the horizontal movement. They're playing through his man, and then there's a great shot right there of getting the pass break up in tight quarters without getting the cheap penalty right there and give him a free first down. Head coach Joe Judge just explained it. I didn't even have to finish the sentence. He pretty much took the words right out of my mouth. It was just an excellent job by him. And two plays later, it would lead to a Darius Slayton 40-yard reception that would put the Giants well into Eagles territory. This led to another Graham Gano field goal from 44 yards out, putting the Giants up 27-17. to 17. And then the Giants would have to make another defensive stand. They pushed the Giants to a, uh, I'm sorry, the Eagles, to a 4th and 16 
It was thanks to a sack by Dexter Lawrence on third and 10 that put the Eagles in that position. Wentz would throw a short pass to Boston Scott. Peppers would make the game-stealing tackle, giving the Giants the their first win over the Eagles since November 6th, 2016. Uh, not too far from four years ago to the date since the win happened on Sunday. And most importantly, the win puts the Giants right back into the thick of the NFC least tank great win and i'm more than happy to recap it with you tonight and i'm looking forward to getting into the pros and cons of this game with sam and uh jordan just a few moments but Hank, i gotta tell you great team win this was a signature win for daniel jones and joe judge absolutely and you know i want to say something that really struck a nerve with me so a guy that i've mentioned by the name of big blue vcr i've mentioned him on a number of times on these podcasts this is a guy you really need to follow if you are a hardcore Giant fan, and especially if you are a Giants history buff like I am. He said at the end of this game, it's probably the first time in like eight years, probably since like around Hurricane Sandy, that the Giants have had fans have had a legitimate reason to hope. And, you know, looking back, looking at that tweet, he's not wrong. Because if you remember the last time the Giants were in the playoffs, that really felt more like, oh, we want to get Eli one more ring before he retires. And he mentioned that too in his tweet. And you kind of knew after that that the whole Ben McAdoo experiment was going to go. So, yeah, no, that having been said, it felt great. And you can see now after that that giant win why fans like us have, like, hope for the future legitimately. And we'll probably be seeing more of that hope as the season goes by, whether or not the Giants end up making the playoffs. But this this win... I think went a long way, and I, I really think it was Daniel Jones' signature win, and that's how what we're going to look back at this game at years to come if if he does end up being the franchise quarterback that we see him as. And this is a huge thing because McAdoo, McAdoof, and Shermer were intelligent minds. Judge yes. is an intelligent coach, and that's the difference between him and the previous two coaches. Uh, Kevin comments fantastic game and the defense is playing lights out yeah the defense is criminally underrated guys um i can't stress that enough and before we get there let's talk about daniel jones um daniel jones had what was by far his best game of the season throwing for 244 yards and second straight game without a turnover big reason why he is our new york football giants player of the week and just so you guys can see what we're referring to, um, there it is. Hank, from a clean pocket, Daniel Jones is a top three to five quarterback in the league when the offensive line actually gives him time. You look at these numbers, and it's very astonishing to look at it. Daniel Jones was a perfect 18 of 18 in a clean pocket. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And, um you know, I think we saw a lot of his talent and we saw a lot of what he can do in a pressure situation. And I think this was the one of the, actually, no, I wouldn't say this is the first, but this was an early example of the clutch gene that we might be seeing out of him that hopefully we'll see more of in years to come. Agree with you 100%. You look at that passing grade, tops the league, uh, nine carries for 64 yards. This was the longest touchdown rush, the 34-yard touchdown that was, by a New York Giants quarterback since 1991. And, Hank, would you like to reveal who that quarterback was? 
that would be Jeff Hostetler of the Super Bowl 25 champions. A backup quarterback, folks, in Jeff Hostetler, the backup quarterback that eventually turned into a starter, similar to what Nick Foles was for the Philadelphia Eagles. That's what Jeff Hostetler was to us back in the early 90s. And on that touchdown run by Jones, Eagles defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz made a comment saying that this was the exact same play as the 80-yard run where Jones had the historic trip over himself or over the field. I, I still can't wrap my head around that play four weeks later, unfortunately, but it is what it is. And the ball was spread out really nicely to guys like Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, and um, the 100.9 passer rating is ecstatic. I'm really happy to see that. A season high and 75% completion percentage is a career high and is 84.2 pro football focus grade. And you put the icing on the cake. It's his first victory against Philadelphia. Uh, both games really close this year. This game, not so much, but Philadelphia made it close late. Remember, the score was 21-17. It wasn't like the Giants could just rely on that momentum they built in the first half, Hank. They had to uh, really step into that third gear and push their limits as a, as a football team. Um I still think the Eagles are the more talented team, but right now I think the Giants are the better coach team, and that's the reason why that they won this game. You look at the PFF grades for Daniel Jones, 12th in offense and 13th in passing, and people are talking about this guy like he's a bottom-five quarterback in football, but when you put the right pieces around them, look what he could do. And you know what that goes to show you, Tom? The numbers don't always necessarily tell you the whole story. You look at Daniel Jones, the way he throws and how he can run. I think that over time will be the true telltale sign of what he can do for this franchise in the years to come. 100%. And before we bring Sam and uh, Jordan up, just want to show Daniel Jones' highlights from this game. A couple of great throws that really made a difference. (laughs) So... I took the sound off because I kind of wanted to break it down. There's the one to Deion Lewis. And, again, clean pocket. The wide receivers are getting the 50-50 balls, folks. Just look at it. Sterling Shepard right there. Short guy, too, going up, making a play. I believe this is the Tate one. Another jump ball. Small guy. Barely six feet tall. And then here's the Darius Slayton one. An absolute bomb. Slayton has to make a behind-the-back catch. None of those throws are easy for him to make. And I just think it was a great overall performance. And as you mentioned just a few moments ago, if Jones goes on to be the long-term franchise quarterback and have a successful career, we could look back at this game and say, hey, this was the game. This was never forget this game. Uh, Sterling Shepard, six catches, 47 yards. Wayne Gallman has now scored a touchdown in four straight. In fact, that's the longest streak by a Giants since Saquon Barkley in 2018. And uh, you brought up another fun fact, Hank, that I was kind of astonished by as well. Yeah, he. Uh, this was also the longest t- rushing touchdown streak since Andre Brown in 2012. You, re- you guys might remember him. He's a pretty underrated Giant for about a year or so. And in addition is five touchdowns from weeks seven to ten. He is tied with Dalvin Cook for most of the NFL in that span. 
unreal. And by the way, let me give you another fun fact, if I may. Here we go. 151 yards. This is the fifth straight game in which the Giants have reached a century mark in rushing yards. Last time they did that, you have to go back to 2015. And they have been, their game in the trenches has been very effective. It has. They were, the Giants were getting bullied in previous years. Now, oddly enough, they're the bullies on that offensive line. They're the ones that are making plays for this team. As you can see, the leap right there. But Gallman is such a great player. And James Montefusco says, yes, that was a jump. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the Dalvin Cook fact you brought up was insane. But without further ado, let's introduce our guest for the night. We're going to bring up Sam Cardona and Sporty Jordy. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, how are you guys? Hey, thank you so much for having me. No problem. Long time no see, Sam. It's only been about four weeks. And uh, <laughs> Hank was bringing this up to me before. You are the first official two-time guest on this show. So congratulations. And, this is um, what we would call a historic moment on <laughs> Big Blue Avenue. Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to sound like Bob Barker from Price is Right, but... <laughs> <laughs> So I know the two of you did a podcast, uh, I believe it was on Monday, correct? Where you guys recapped the game and you you guys actually brought up a couple of facts that I didn't know. And um, Sporty Jordy, um, I can call you Jordan, right? Yes, that's totally okay. fine. So Jordan, uh, where, where, where can the listeners find you and your content? Yeah, so I post on YouTube every Wednesday evening. You can find me at Sporty Jordy, spelled exactly as, as I have it here. And then I also have my own Instagram page at uh, the Sporty Jordy. Very nice. And then Sam, of course, the host of the Girl Who Talks Sports podcast. You can follow her as well on Inst- I believe, Sam, you just made an Instagram account this week. I did. I did. I made it yesterday or two We're days so ago. official. I know. So you can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, both of those at TGWTS podcast. And then I'm available on all podcast networks and YouTube. Very, very nice. Um, And I know we want to talk about this game because this was a crazy, crazy game. And um, Jordan, I know you're unfortunately the only Eagles fan here in this group, but I've I've (laughs) I've got to tell you, though, I still think the Eagles are the more talented football team. Like, I'm, I'm going to be straight up. I know probably most Giant fans won't tell you that, but I will because I think the Giants are better coached. I mean, I think you saw it on Sunday. That Doug Peterson, uh, that two-point call, what went through your mind when they went for two and didn't make it? Because they go for two, it seems like, way too much. We go for two far too often, and me and Sam actually had a conversation along these lines, and I said I'm okay with going for two as often as we do. I believe it's 48 or 49% of our extra point goes our two-point conversion attempts. Um, And I would be better. I would feel more comfortable going for them if we were more consistent with how often we actually get them because we haven't been. I was saying it feels like one every four tries we might get it. Um, So I think they're trying to be ballsy. I think they're trying to be risky and they're trying to 
work out of the box, but it just doesn't seem to be working for us. So I wish we have a strong kicker. I would tr- trust Jake Elliott with my life. So I don't know why we don't just let him do his thing, but we'll see. Maybe we'll get better. I keep telling myself that. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Tom. I, yeah. I'm I'm kind of like Tom in the sense that like most of the time I would just take the point and move on. But I think more often than not, depending on the situation, I'm not necessarily opposed to going for two, but yeah, I I wouldn't go for it as much as Doug does. Yeah, If we're, it's, if it's the end of the game and we're like in it to the very end and we need to go for two, I'm fine with it. But I think we do it in situations where we don't necessarily have to, and then it ends up hurting us in the end. I brought up the example on Sam's podcast when we played the Ravens, which was a game we should have been blown out and we weren't, but we went for two so many times. And then in the end, if we just got the extra points, we would have been tied with them. So it's moments like that, that I get very frustrated. I agree. I mean, it just seems like Doug Peterson's doing too much. And you brought up a, a fact that surprisingly none of us even knew that the Eagles are the only team that they don't have an official paper, official offensive coordinator. Mm. And nope. you know, we took advantage of that. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, you did. <laughs> um, That's right. I've heard about that. Yes. It's so bizarre. Especially, especially when whatever we are clearly doing is not working. Um, I thought they would have maybe at this point, midway through the season, at least promoted somebody or brought somebody in to do something. But we have not yet. (laughs) It's funny. I see a lot of Eagle fans through social media. There are some people that say, oh, we should we got worse because we let Nick Foles go yet. I feel like not enough is mentioned about Frank Reich leaving. I feel like that's the moment that they jumped the shark. Yes, absolutely. I am fully, fully convinced that we won our Super Bowl because of Frank Reich. Fully convinced. Thanks for the exact same thing. Yes, and now I see what he's doing (laughs) on the Colts, and their offense, they're killing it. So I miss him dearly. (laughs) That guy turned a 1-5 team into 11-5 two years ago. Yes. Good coach. And any of them in the first place, too. Given what he's working with in Indianapolis, he's no slouch. No, not at all. He was working when we got our Super Bowl. We were such an injured team. We were using practice squad players in the Super Bowl game, and we still got it. So he deserves so much credit. All on top of versing Tom Brady and the Patriots. Yes. (laughs) So... Very good coaching. You guys yeah, know no how to go against them in a Super Bowl, too, though. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do. Um, yeah, those were some fun times. Uh, Sam, let's talk about that Giants defense. We we were pretty good. Uh, I got to give it to us. We didn't allow a single third down. That was the first time since 2004 uh, that the Eagles have failed to convert a third down in a game. And one stat that Giants WFAN reporter Lance Meadow brought up was that six of the nine third downs for the Eagles were 10 yards or more. And then 10 of the 14 third downs for the Giants were five yards of less. That's kind of like a tail of the tape theme for this game right there. What do you think about that? 
Well, I think that for one thing, I have literally a note written down here that says Giants defense immaculate because they did so well. Obviously, on top of the fact what we were just talking about, that the Eagles offense is struggling and they do not have an offensive coordinator. I think that we definitely took advantage of that. And this defense and we've been talking about this defense for quite some time now and how well they're doing and how they're kind of holding up this team a little bit more than the offense is. But this defense has gotten better and better after every single week. And even though there were no turnovers in this, Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Even though there were no turnovers in this game, um, there were deflections after deflections with this defense, like things that could have been an interception turned out to just be, you know, just a tackle or, you know, pushing the ball away. But those plays are so, so important. Even if it's not, you know, a turnover where we get the ball back, stopping those plays, you know, it's so important. And our defense has done it so well, especially in this game. So I, adore this defense i think blake martinez was one of the best aspects we could have added to this defense and i mean they our offense is getting better but our defense really is holding this team up and thank you for the comment jill banks appreciate it uh, thank you <laughs> jordan me and hank were talking to before the game and uh Carson Wentz threw 17 passes in the first half. All of them were inside the pocket. Now, the Giants' defense is towards the bottom when it comes to defending quarterbacks outside the pocket. So I think, you know, Sam brought it up. Our defense did a good job. Wentz Mm -hmm. not being able to get out of the pocket. I mean, it took him until halfway through the third quarter. Um, And I don't think the – I know he didn't have any turnovers in this game, but he did fumble twice. I know him and Kelsey weren't on the same page a lot. So do you think that attributed to the Eagles' struggles? Absolutely. And the first – when he came out, our first couple drives, he wasn't doing much, but he seemed confident. They had a very quick pace. So I did a stupid thing and got my hopes up, thinking that we would be doing well. But you're right. He couldn't. Him and Kelsey weren't on the same page. There was something that wasn't working. And I think the only chance we have is having our offense rely on Wentz and seeing his confidence. And when he's able to make his crazy plays and when he runs out of the pocket and he can make the impossible happen, that's when we do our best. So I think you guys did everything right that you had to do and to stop us. And I think for us to eventually be able to do something against other teams as well, Wentz is going to have to do what Wentz does, and we just have to figure out a way to make that happen for him. Our O-line is so injured beyond yeah. beyond repair right now. Gross. So it's just going to be a tough season of just kind of trial and error and figuring out what works. You know, it's funny. I mentioned this, I think, on the last set or the pregame for the first Eagles game the, before the one in Philadelphia. Tom, I think I told you they went through so many offensive line. I'm surprised that Carson Wentz hasn't gotten injured yet. I said that, too, especially with how fragile he is and how everyone's convinced he's like going to get hurt all the time. That's why we drafted a second uh, quarterback in the second round. But he's held it together like crazy. I was not expecting that. Every time I see him move or if he gets tackled the wrong way or goes down, I'm like, oh, my God, is he getting up okay? Is he slow? Like, what's going on? And he's so, the only quarterback. Oh, I'm sorry, Hank. I just want to throw in this one fun fact. He's the only quarterback in the NFC East that the Giants haven't injured. Starting quarterback. That's a fun fact. Dak, Kyle Allen with the whiplash by Jabril Peppers. But 
Isn't that amazing, Susan? I know, I know Sam, you'll get the reference that I just made. <laughs> Anyways, my, I think this is a perfect segue to my first question that I have for Jordan. Uh, with all that having been said about Carson Wentz, in your eyes, do you still see him as the guy moving forward for the Eagles? I think I am very alone on this train, but I actually still do believe that he is our guy. I trust him. And right now he's not doing like, he's not executing as well as I would like him to, but granted he is fairly alone out there. Um, I do think once we have a healthy team, once we get an offensive coordinator, which we absolutely need to, he will be our guy. And especially proving that he can stay healthy this season with everything going on. I think that was super important, but no, when we, when there was rumors of COVID cases, you should see, Eagles reporters, the first comments from Eagles fans are, please let it be Wentz so we can bench him. He doesn't have to play this. Like, like Philly is turning on Wentz. I have not. I still trust him. I get frustrated with him sometimes, but it seems like he's learning every week what he's doing wrong. And I do feel bad that he's alone out there. So, yes, I still believe in him. I still think he is our guy. Yeah, I tend to see your, I tend to agree with your point of view. I don't I do not think the struggles that the Eagles have are his fault. Now, no. as far as guys who I do think are at fault, let's talk about your two elephants in the room. Doug Peterson and uh GM Howie Roseman. Yes. Between the two of those guys, who do you think deserves most of the blame for their underachievements? Honestly, wow, that's a loaded question. I honestly think Howie Roseman right now, um, because I think he should have been the one to step up and say, no, we need an offensive coordinator. First of all, like this is my team. I think he should have been, he's our number one. He's our guy. Like he should have said, like, we need to do this. And also drafting. I have never been so heartbroken. Sam knows I was calling Sam throughout crying throughout the draft. Um, it's, it was just painful. And, and we had a weird first round draft pick in Rieger, not that he's bad, but we could have had Jefferson when we need wide receivers desperately. And he's clearly proving to be unbelievable. Um, but we took Rieger. I tried to remain positive and I was like, in the second round, there are so many positions that we need. We can't go wrong here. Like if we took an O-line, a defensive end, like if we took another receiver, even, we couldn't go wrong, and instead we drafted Hurts. Yeah. Um, and I just think we could have been so much smarter there that even without an offensive coordinator, I think Doug Peterson would have had more options. So I do put majority of the blame right now on Howie, unfortunately. Not that I'm happy with Doug, but I think Howie deserves more of the blame. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. And you want to know another glaring sign of Howie Roseman's incompetence that I saw in, in the game? I hate yes, to be this tell me. No, money. no. He, he took JGR Sega Whiteside a few spots before DK Metcalf. And he didn't yeah. just pass up on DK Metcalf. Look at the list of a lot of receivers that he missed out on over 2020 and 2019. Oh, it is awful. unreal. And and you know, and JGR Sega Whiteside, he was a healthy scratch. He didn't even get to see the field. And I think he's on the COVID-19. We just got him back last yeah, week. Yeah. And now, too. yeah, now, like, a lot of the people we just what got back are What does that say now. about Howie Roseman? And, he doesn't and, know how to draft. And, and you know what I think the worst? <laughs> you know what I think his biggest offense, though, is I think the fact that he never really drafted an offensive line to help Carson yeah. Wentz is, is the biggest, his biggest crime, in my opinion. 
if Carson Wentz ends up pulling Andrew Luck and leaving, Howie Roseman is the man, main man at fault for that. Yes. No, it's Let's, very, very frustrating. Yeah. I just want to get to a couple comments. Kevin Fitz from JDF Sports saying hello. Make sure to go check out his stuff on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube at JDF Sports. Kevin, all the stress being on him and not the secondary is terrible, as in Carson Wentz. Uh, I agree. And then Gabe Flayton, Sam, your friend Gabe says, can Miles Sanders get the ball on the goal line, please? Hi, Gabe. (laughs) Uh, Miles Sanders has not played much this year. He's been another guy who's been plagued with uh, an injury. To be honest, I don't know why they aren't using their running backs more. I mean, Jordan and I were talking about it on my show. Boston Scott had an incredible touchdown, which he may or may not have stepped out of bounds, but that is a whole nother rant for another day. And Miles Sanders is like an amazing running back as well. And that you can tell that's where their strongest points are is in their run game. Like they're, Carson is not throwing the ball where he should be. So obviously you're going to run the ball more. And I don't know why they're not utilizing it more because they're so good at it. Yeah, I sound like Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side every time I watch the Eagles where she like calls a coach and run the dang ball. <laughs> you brought up the statistic. Carson Wentz, he's struggling. We don't have receivers. Our tight ends are hurt. Uh, Goddard even left in the middle of the game for a hot sec. He came back. But it, we need to rely on our run game because it's one of the only things that we can actually trust right now. Yeah. Well, against the Giants, you could also trust this fact right here. We can't cover (laughs) tight ends (laughs) for our life. And, you know, you look at the numbers in this game, they're they're kind of fluff. Because what we don't realize, if we can combine the numbers, the Giants suck at covering tight ends. Richard Rodgers was the leading receiver for Philadelphia in both games this year. This is when Ertz is healthy, your third-string tight end had four catches for 60 yards. And then Dallas Goddard had four for 33. So we put those together. That's eight catches for 93 yards surrendered by the Giants, two tight ends. Sam, Hank, I don't know what it is, but it seems like against every team that we play, start their tight end in fantasy. We can't match with them. Yeah, I must say when they were when I was like watching the highlights of this game and they were like, yeah, oh, completion to Richard Rodgers, completion to Richard Rodgers. I was like, who is this guy? Why? Why is he like, did he come out of nowhere? Is he some because apparently this is like the year of like tight ends coming out of nowhere. Like in yes. Green Bay, it was like Robert Tanya. And I was like, who's Robert Tanya? Yeah, and now all of a sudden he's like this star yeah. tight end. Same thing with Richard Rodgers. I was like, who in the world is Richard Rodgers? And why is he so good? And obviously Zach Ertz being injured is like a huge blow to the Eagles but that like the fact that the Giants are that bad that they're making a third string tight end who is still good still good but he looked like a like an amazing starter and I was like I don't even know this guy the fact that he looks this good against our defense which can just do amazing things every other place but for some reason I don't know what it is but they are like allergic to tight ends. They just like don't even want to go near them. Like I get it. It's allergy season. We get it. We know COVID six feet. I understand. Yeah. Well, like, come on. We got to do it. We got to cover the tight end. Yeah. That's working with tight ends. But what (laughs) we are good at covering is wide receivers. And um, Jordan, we're going to introduce you to um, one of our lovely graphics here that we made tonight. It's called James Bradbury. Um, Mm. So remember how Darrell Revis referred, a lot of fans referred to him as Revis Island. 
So we refer to James Bradbury as Bradbury Bunker, and this is what he's done against some of the each team's top receiver this year when they've played. I, I use the most recent Washington and Philadelphia matchups, but Fulgham got nothing. You look at these top-level receivers outside of Mike Evans, every single one was pretty much locked down. Yeah, and Fulgham is good. we rely on the most right now, it seems. And when Wentz threw at Bradbury on Sunday, his passer rating was 39.6. That is the equivalent to an incomplete pass thrown by a punter on a botched punt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to throw that in there. No, no, no. no. It's true, though. You're right. Yeah, no, it's fair. We deserve it. I'll, I'll be honest with you, Jordan. I do think Carson Wentz is probably the best thing about the NFC East right now. I mean, I know that's not saying much, but um, <laughs> I'm still confident that Philadelphia wins. The, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. Okay. Um, Bradbury only allowed two catches and pretty good in pass coverage and defense. So you look at these guys, Juju Smith, Schuster, Allen Robinson, Robert Woods, Amari Cooper, Scary Terry. Um, yeah, Scary Terry didn't show up for Halloween this year. So um, <laughs> Those are just a few guys that Bradbury did a really, really good job against. Sam, what are your thoughts on James Bradbury? Do you think he should make the Pro Bowl this year? Yeah, I actually I went on to the thing to to vote, and um, I ended up voting for him because I was just like, why not? I mean, even though the the Pro Bowl is going to be virtual this year, they're going to do it on Madden, which is like crazy. <laughs> Yeah, did you know that they're doing? Ooh. It's going to be virtual. They're playing. They're, I believe they're going to be playing themselves on Madden, and that's going to be the Pro Bowl this year. Isn't that, that like is the, the most, most amazing thing you've ever heard? Thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, they, no and I was like, you know what? Cancel the Pro Bowl. Do Madden yeah. all the time. Why not? Yeah. You know, anything will be better. But it's the title of the Pro Bowl that's important, I think. But I definitely think that like James the honor of just it. being in it. Yeah, it's it's like to say that you're like a seven-time Pro Bowler is like, you know, it just shows that you're good and that you're making like an all-star team. Yeah. But James Bradbury is amazing, and I 100% think that he should make it to the Pro Bowl. Now, Hey, Hank, yeah, sorry, I was going to get to you. Who else on defense has stuck out for the Giants? Another guy that, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. Another guy I wanted to talk about was Jabril Peppers. He actually led the Giants in that game with seven tackles, six of them sold, and not to mention he had a half sack and two and a half tackles for a loss. And if you look at how he's performed in the last few games, I would say he's been probably been one of the more under the radar players on defense, but he has been very effective. And I'll tell you what, he's making that Odell Beckham trade look better and better for sure. I would agree. I mean, I think he's, he's been really successful on this team. The problem is do we lock him up long-term that we don't know? Cause we still have other young players like, Dexter Lawrence, who registered a key sack in this game. He's a good young player out of Clemson. Uh, Leonard Williams, too. Seventh best defensive lineman against the run in the NFL. I love Leonard Williams. He's on a franchise tag. The problem is, and Sam and Hank, you guys know this as Giants fans, we don't keep a lot of our defensive tackles long-term. Past their rookie contract, they don't stick. And Jordan, I'm sure you know this, too. Teams don't invest in defensive tackles long-term. Why? Because it's not that they're not important. I just think they're not like a outside of Aaron Donald. They're not really a star studded position in the NFL. No. Yeah. 
And I mean, I think it's sad, true. The Giants need someone like that. I mean, I know that we picked up Blake Martinez. He's probably one of the biggest names on our defense, but we need, I think I've mentioned this before uh, the last time I was on your show, but we need like a star defender that's like on the team and like a leader for our defense because mm-hmm. like we don't have a Watt brother on our team. You know, we, we don't. don't have these like amazing players to lead our defense. And while our defense is good, I think it could be 10 times better if we have someone that we can keep around and like pay, I mean, um, well, this isn't defensive, but Dave Bakhtiari from the, uh, the green Bay Packers just got paid $105.5 million, which is insane. I know that he's an offensive lineman, but he's still, uh, you know, a big guy that is like leading that offensive line. So I think that that's someone that we need for our defense because whether we're going to, you know, draft but i mean this year our first round draft pick was a left tackle and i don't see andrew thomas doing much of anything right now so i we really need to invest in some star defensive players because it'll just make our 10 times better so i want to get to the negatives about this game in just a moment where philadelphia outshined the giants uh but before we get there hank one of your keys to the game every week is that the giants have to get off the field on third down and they did that 100% of the time on Sunday. It was the first time they've had that type of perfection since 2010 against Dallas. And, you know, the Eagles the game were pretty... The broke Romo's collarbone, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Giants have a history for injuring quarterbacks. I, I, we don't really mean to do it. It just so happens. Um, the special teams... Michael Bowley got that sack, too. Michael Bowley, yeah, our probably best linebacker prior to Blake Martinez. That's how sad we are at linebacker. That's why we can't cover tight ends. Again, Chase Blackburn, Blackburn too, a career backup who made an interception in a Super Bowl. That's what he'll be known for. Um, Graham Gano, yes, he did test positive for COVID-19. That's kind of sad, but I'm sure he should be ready. Thank goodness we have a bye this week. Uh, He now has hit 20 consecutive field goals in a row second longest in Giants history. And then Riley Dixon, guys, um, who quite frankly has been one of our best offensive weapons this season. And we like to compare him to uh, a bubblegum brand, not exaggerating, Big Red. Um, (laughs) He's been great. And you look at these stats and 53 0.3 0.3 yards per punt. That's for gross and net. That's really tough to do. It was an identical season high for him. And former Giants kicker Lawrence Tynes brought this up on his Twitter. Out of Dixon's four punts, yes, all of them were down inside the 20-yard line, but they were down at the 5, 6, 11, and 17-yard lines, respectively. And that includes his career-long 71-yard punt. Sam, what sticks out to you the most about Riley Dixon? I mean, I think that it's really important to have a very good punter like this on your team. I mean, a lot of people don't think about the punter. So to have someone like Riley Dixon, who's putting, you know, they're downed at 5, 6, 11, 17, that is, apart from the fact that the guy should be getting down the field and stopping the run, the fact that they that he's able to position the ball in a place where it can just land and that's where it will stay, I think is a very, very hard thing to do. It's not easy because a lot of times when you want to make it all the way over there, it ends up hitting into the end zone. Now we're on the 25-yard line. So to have someone like Riley Dixon 
you know, Big Red is a fantastic nickname, and I will be stealing that from you. Um, of <laughs> course. Like, you know. It's not trademark, so that is well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I think it's really hard to do that. I think that he's very good at what he does. And Graham Gano as well. I mean, our our punters and kickers on this team do really, really good stuff. And like I said, not a lot of people think about the punters. And to have someone as good as Dixon on our team is very helpful for us because if – the team doesn't make it past the 50 yard line, then we're in good, we're in good spirits for sure. I, I will say though, Jordan, it does help that the Eagles did not have the Sean Jackson back there returning punts because we know the history of the Sean Jackson returning punts. I wasn't going to bring it up for you guys. <laughs> Hank, Hank was actually, Hank actually had to witness that in person. So yeah, I would have done anything to be there. That was, um, you know, it was crazy. For I don't go to too many giant games, so I, sadly that was actually my first. But oh. it, it, on the at least it was memorable. But unfortunately, it was memorable in the wrong way. But yeah, it is what it is. I'm I'm sort of over that. I think <laughs> I'm over it. I mean, Matt Dodge was gone after a year. Tom Coughlin, you know, how his face gets red. I've never seen it more red than that. After um, the only time I saw his face redder was the champion NFC Championship in 08 against the Packers. That went negative, negative four or five degrees, something yep, like that. That'll do it. Um, 20 yard, uh, 21 punts down inside the 20. That's tied for the league lead. And in his third season, fifth in the NFL, Hank, he's really coming into his own. Is he a top five punter in this league? Honestly, I would say he has. And you look at how many possessions he may have stopped with his long punts. It's hard for me to really argue otherwise, because the only other punter you hear talked about in, in the league that you could even challenge Dixon for is uh, <laughs> thanks, Mom, for reminding me about <laughs> The only punter that could you could really challenge that would be Johnny Hecker of the LA Rams. And there's him and there's Dixon and then yeah, what other punter do you really think about? Right. You know, I will say the Giants outgained Philly and they held an edge in time of possession. The Eagles did have eleven penalties and you know, it definitely helped. The Giants have now scored over twenty plus points in each of their last six games. This was an offense that was the worst in the NFL. The fact that we've gone from that to scoring twenty plus in six games. In each of the last six, I think that's crazy. In fact, in the last four games, remember, guys, we couldn't score when we made it to the red zone. We were kicking field goals at an alarming rate or just not scoring, getting penalties that would push us out of field goal range or turnovers even with Danny Jones. Uh, In our last four games, we have now scored touchdowns on nine of our last 11 red zone trips. Sam, what has changed? What do you think has changed? Um, I mean, to be honest, in ter- I mean, in this game, uh, two out of three of our touchdowns were runs. So I think that we're definitely utilizing our run game a little bit. Obviously, we don't have Saquon right now, but Wayne Gallman has really stepped up to the plate. Um, I mean, that first touchdown that he did, he jumped over the entire pile of guys and it was quite beautiful. So the fact that I think they're utilizing their run game in the, in the red zone a little bit more is definitely helpful. Um, I know Danny wants to throw the ball. It's like, you know, he either wants to throw it or he wants to run like, and he wants to run. He doesn't want to give it to anybody else. He just wants to take off because <laughs> that's what he does now. But um, yeah, in terms of, in terms of the red zone. And also I think that this, 
we're, we're in we're in a bit of a, a meshing period right now. Things are starting to work a little bit better. We're starting to get used, you know, Daniel's in his second year. He's starting to get used to these guys. He's starting to kind of understand how they work. They know where they want to go. He knows where he wants to go. And Joe Judge being a very good coach at this point, I think, you know, is kind of able to bring these players together. And I just, I think that it's more time is really helping us right now. And also the fact that we're kind of figuring ourselves out as well as our other team's defense every single week. So once we figure out ourselves, you know, ta-da, we can actually score points. <laughs> and that's, that's what the point of the game is. So I think that that's definitely part of it is that this team is finally, you know, gelling together and we're finally figuring out the other, you know, each other that way we know oh well you know what I know that you know Wayne Gallman can take this ball and jump over a pile of people and get this touchdown and they just go for it so I think mm-hmm. that that's definitely what's what's going on with this offense yeah I yeah I would say it's really a combination of a lot of things I think it's the players starting to gel and I think it's also judge watching film and paying attention to detail, which is something Tom and I have stressed about many a time over the course of this, these episodes. And yeah, when, when you put it all together, I think there's a lot that's really, you can put into the giants and their improvement in the red zone. And it's something that I'm really pleased to see. Me too. I also think from an outside, not a Giants fan, but watching you guys play, Danny Dimes seems much more confident in himself. Like, he seems he trusts himself more. A lot of tackles, a lot of sacks that have usually last season would have been fumbles or turnovers for him. He's held on to. Like, he's learning from his mistakes. And I think that's helping you guys a lot, too. I think it's really key against a team like Philadelphia because I'm going to be honest, the Eagles have a pretty darn good defense. Brandon Graham has owned us over the years. Fletcher Cox, uh, Derek Barnett, and Jordan, you guys have an outstanding young linebacker, I think, in Alex Singleton. He's really... Yeah, he stepped up huge. Rised onto the scene with Nate Jerry out as well, who was their leading tackler Mm -hmm. before going down, and I think Joe Judge getting his first signature win against a defense like this is big. Um... But there are some bad things about this game that did go into Philadelphia's favor, and we're going to discuss them right now. Ingram, Evan Ingram, two catches, 15 yards. Again, Sam, we know he has the talent just for some reason. He is probably outside of Mitch Trubisky. Uh, We can't even really say that because he's not playing anymore. The most Jekyll and Hyde type of player in the (laughs) NFL. I'll never understand that he has like top three to five tight end potential written all over him, but he just can't produce like one that is killing me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I'll just like mention this quick story right now. I was at the grocery store the other day and I had a, um, a giant's hat on and the guy came up to me and he was like, Oh, you're a giant's fan. I said, yeah. And he goes, Oh, I love Evan Ingram. And I was like, Oh, okay. Are you watching the games? Do you, do you, do you know what's going on? He goes, yeah, no, I do. I I like him a lot. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna walk away from you. Cause obviously you're not (laughs) to these games, at least not the ones that I'm watching. We do see Evan Ingram do some really great things sometimes. And I was like, like, I'm like, oh, look, he caught a ball. Oh, my God. Wow, look at him doing these amazing plays. And we, we, <laughs> like to have, we like to have those guys, like, way down the field, right along the sidelines. I mean, we saw the um, 
Darius Slayton catch where he turns and like repositions himself. Like Danny likes throwing to those positions and Evan Ingram's supposed to be there. And obviously we can see that Daniel Jones can position those balls. Daniel Jones can put those balls where they need to be. And his receivers can make those catches but not Evan Ingram. And, and like you said, he's the most up and down guy. I don't know why, but it's, there are some times where I'm like, Oh wow, that was a, that was a great play by Evan Ingram. And I'm like, why doesn't he do this all the time? He, he has the talent it's there and he's been in the league for some time now. And I'm like, why isn't he doing this all the time? I don't know if it's like the, the way I don't, I can't figure it out, but yeah, it's like some like we saw that massive, massive drop in the last Eagles game, which basically cost us the game. And I was like, that, how do you, as a tight end in that position, knowing what's going to happen, how do you drop that ball? And it just, I don't know what it is about him. I don't know what it is about. Maybe he just doesn't know when to when to catch the ball and like hold on to it. I don't know, but. We can see that Daniel Jones knows where to throw it, so it's not him, even though he's said, like, oh, well, maybe it's my fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault, Daniel. Like, you're doing fine. You're doing great. (laughs) You're doing great, sweetie. Just keep keep going. (laughs) So, obviously, it's Evan Ingram, and like I said, he can make the catches. I just don't know why he's not. Yeah. Hank, our good friend, Paul Lombardi, shout out to him from sacred heart evan ingram killed my fantasy team last week shake my head sorry so, feel for you man i don't know how ingram somehow made your team but yeah i, I feel you buddy um probably with the bye weeks coming up i mean backups are playing so that makes sense um jordan boston scott this is a guy that the giants cannot stop for the life of us. Uh, his touchdown run was the longest run for a touchdown against us since Adrian Peterson two years ago had that 64 yard touchdown. Scott continues to hurt us in this game, but he only had three carries, even with Miles Sanders returning. Mm-hmm. Do you think Boston Scott was just flat out underutilized? Absolutely. I, in my fantasy this week, I know how Boston Scott plays. I have Miles Sanders and Boston Scott in one of my fantasy leagues. And I knew Miles Sanders was going to coming back, but I started Boston Scott anyway, just because I know how he plays against the Giants. There was one last season where he kind of had his coming out party. I was like, oh, okay. It was all against the Giants. Like, that's where he performs best. So I do think, for some reason, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because he's so little, if he can sneak his way through. There's something about whatever he can do against the Giants defense, it works. So I do think we should have put a little more faith in him. I think we were excited to get Miles Sanders back. We are trying to make the most out of him, but I think in this situation we should have relied more on Boston Scott because I think he could have executed better. Or would have executed better. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that too because like, I didn't really see much of him before and after that run, and I'm like... Yeah. I'm like... The Eagles are underutilizing them. I mean, don't they know that this guy has killed us in the past? Like, it's yeah. I don't know what the thought process was there. I kept, I literally kept saying, I was like, give it to Boston, give it to Boston, because I feel like he could just make things happen. Even if he doesn't need to have the crazy touchdown runs. Like, even we were what zero for nine on third down. Like, even if he could have just gotten us something, like I think he would have been able to help us out a lot more if they gave him. More of and a chance. He's tiny. Like you're, yes, you're at five six. Your average guy towers over him. You know, yes. like it's crazy. Um, I mean, I know Miles Sanders and Corey 
Clement. That's that's a good trio. I know yeah. uh, Corey Clement had a touchdown in this game. Uh, our run defense is probably the best part of our defense. And even though like we did get outrushed in this game, we gave up 150 yards. Remember, like that 56 yard touchdown. I think it was that came on one play. So without yeah. that play, Giants still had a pretty good game against the run. Uh, maybe not against Sanders. He was good at times, but. Yeah. Sam Blake Martinez didn't have his best game. I know he's probably been like the star of our defense this year. We already talked about the tight ends. Like I'm going to pin it again for those just joining us now. We can't cover tight ends. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, why am I not surprised? (laughs) Um, James says he might be the second best running back behind Zeke. What do you mean exactly? Uh, Miles Sanders, maybe. I don't know if that's what he's referring to. In the NFC East, yeah, probably. Yeah, Miles Sanders, there's no, I'm not knocking. Uh, we need Miles Sanders. He's, I think, going to be, he is a star, but I think he's going to be like an actual star throughout the entire league in the next, in the coming years. But just against the Giants, Boston Scott, like we need him against the Giants. Really do. Uh, the de- the defense didn't force any turnovers this week, and James just confirms says in the NFC East and Sanders. Yep. Yeah. Um, I figured as much. Neither team had a turnover. The Giants had seven penalties, but two of them were intentional delay of games. Philadelphia had 11, but one of them was also an intentional, intentional delay of games. So the numbers really inflated. It was really 10 to 5, not 11 to 7. But, you know, as we're moving on to the key takeaways here, the all-time series, Philadelphia leads 88-86-2, and the Giants finally end their eight-game skid to Philadelphia. We've only beaten the Eagles five times since 2008, uh, since I was in grade school, pretty much. Uh, well, I think eighth grade, really something five, like that. Five, five games since the Plax incident. Yeah, after Plaxico shot himself. The Plaxico yeah. incident. <laughs> yeah, I always look at that as like the – demarcation period for when the Eagles started dominating the Giants because every they could never cover that guy you might if you recall that he presented matchup problems for literally every single cornerback safety you name it and when he, when the Giants lost him that was a turning point and you you cannot change my mind to this day I'm convinced that if that did not happen the Giants would have repeated as Super Bowl champions I'm still salty about that to this very day I know we've had Super Bowls but you know, it is what it is. Eli should have at least three rings. That's a discussion for another day. And you know who ended our season, right? The Philadelphia Eagles that year. We went from 11-1 and one to 12-4 and four really fast after Plaxico went down. And Paul, again, saying Boston Scott is the next Darren Sproles. Love that guy. 7-3 uh, and three against the spread this year. Second best in the league. We're pretty good, Hank. Yeah, again, it it shows you how many close games the Giants have been in, and I think that also says a lot about the job that Joe Judge has done, keeping the Giants in pretty much every single game. So there you go. I would agree. I mean, I know me, Hank, and Sam, we're all happy about this losing streak being over. The Giants receivers, they're beginning to make contested catches, which is good. We've seen it. Tate, who's a former Eagle and former Lions, Slayton, uh, so the Slate and Slate matchup, Sam, the first matchup, Slate killed Slate. But this time, I think it was the other way around. Yeah, I definitely think so, too. And um, also the fact that they're both named Darius. I was going to say that. 
I think that that's so crazy. Yeah. What are the odds that like one of them just has three extra letters at the end of his name? Yeah. But um. But yeah, I'm like we mentioned before that Darius Slayton catch where he basically changed his whole body in order to catch it, and that was in the fourth quarter, and that was an extremely important catch to make, and he was able to do it, and. Yeah, he's definitely been coming out on top recently and and if he's able to shake his defenders whoever it is on it whether it's Darius Slay or not, he's like it, it, it's been on the up and up for him for sure because he is able to, you know, make himself available for Daniel Jones who can throw to him and he knows how to make sure he can shake a defender in order for him to get open to make those catches. You know, this is something that kind of just dawned on me. It seems like Jason Garrett, our new offensive coordinator, has started to coach the turnovers out of Daniel Jones. We saw it last year at the OC we had. I mean, Pat Shermer was calling our plays. We really couldn't coach any. Uh, the turnovers came at an alarming rate. You saw one every game, and now to not Pat see Shermer one. Who? Do I remember who? No, I was joking. Pat Shermer, oh. never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. um, you got me there. Um, yeah, but Sam, I know last time you came on our show, you were feeling really shaky about Daniel Jones. Are you still on the fence? How are you feeling about him now? No, I've definitely gotten um, a little less shaky about him. I mean, obviously, three wins is not the best to have in a season. But in terms of just the way that he's playing, I think that he's definitely gotten more confident over the last couple weeks. And having someone like Jason Garrett, I know... I mean, I've hated him for the majority of my life being the <laughs> Cowboys head coach. When I went, I believe it was with Jordan when I found out that Jason Garrett was going to be our yeah. offensive coordinator. And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? This guy, really? And I was like, I guess it could we work. We were both perplexed. Yeah, I was like, okay, this is good because we play the Cowboys twice a year and like, you know, he can deal with that. But I think that you're right. I think that him coaching the turnovers out of Daniel Jones is a really good way of putting it because yeah, I'm, I'm seeing Daniel Jones just perform and having teams outperform him. And while that's not the best thing, I think it's still good because yeah, like I, I was, I've okay. First of all, I've been on the Daniel Jones train since last April, I when I, he got drafted, I was like, "Yes, this is good. We can deal with this." And people were like, "No, Daniel Jones sucks." This and that. And when he came into the to the games last year, you know, he got that first win for us, and then it was real bad, not good at all. But I was like, you know what? I he's young, he's getting, you know, he's a little awkward. He's trying to get, and like I was saying before, like this offense is meshing well now. And I definitely think, like, yeah, especially this Daniel Jones and Joe Judge connection too is really great and joe judge i think last time on the on your show i we talked about joe judge as well and whether or not i thought he was going to be a longtime coach for us and recently i've just been seeing him in like his post-game press conferences like being like super confident about everything and like that there was that video where like someone's phone was ringing or something and he was like can you turn that off and i was like (laughs) Oh my God. Like this man, knows, he he's like, I'm here to talk about my team. I'm here to like do all this stuff. And like, nothing should be bothering me. And I was like, you know what? Joe judge. You, I, I, I'm feeling you, man. I, I, I like this. I like this whole new, I know he's you know probably trying to bring that Patriots mentality to our game, 
which is not a bad thing because the pa- well maybe not so much this year, but the Patriots were good. Yeah, and I you know I'm I'm really liking the way that our team is becoming at this point in time. Jordan, is he a mini Belichick as an outsider looking in? Like, I, what's your vibe on him? That I was actually going to say. That's why I was like agreeing so much with Sam. I get that full vibe, and I honestly also think it's a really good thing that it's his first year it's Danny Dimes first year as like your official starter like he's guaranteed your guy it seems like they have a great relationship do I put my life savings Yeah, you're a funny guy. <laughs> Honestly, if you do that, Eagles do do their best work as underdogs, but don't trust them. Please <laughs> do not do it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, oh, my goodness. Sorry. All right. Joe Judge. No, that was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think... <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Time's up at all when he's <laughs> radio. Oh man. Oh, all right. Giants talk. Joe Judge. Joe Judge. Danny Dimes. No, I do think I think they're going to have a great relationship. I think they're actually gonna like grow together. It seems like they understand each other. They understand each mm-hmm. other's game. It seems like the whole not even just the two of them, the whole offense seems to be clicking. And I said it in my video this week. The Giants, as of right now, for the NFC East, they might be a good team, but overall, they're not a great team yet. I think within the next year or two, I think you guys are going to be in playoff conversation consistently. I think you are going to get to that point where you are solid and good. So this season, it might not feel great, but I do think Joe Judge coming in, whatever he's doing with Danny Dimes and the rest of your offense, I think it's working and I think it's going to continue to work. It's good to hear from a fan of a different team, too, because a lot of times people are like, oh, you're biased, you know, like, I mean, I try not to bring it up too much, but I, I am starting to finally think that we might have, like, at this very moment, like, the brightest future long term in this yes. division right now. And yeah. Bill Banks, I think you are okay with 25. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, man. Sorry, Hank, you're up. <laughs> Thank you. Um. I think another thing, another reason the Giants has been successful besides the Joe Judge, Daniel Jones relationship, I think running it in the trenches and going on the ground has been pretty much key. You know, the Giants only passed on 28 of 67 plays. Sam, I got to ask you, given the performance from the past few weeks, is it safe to say when this man comes back, he and Gallman will be a very good power combo? A la Jacobs Bradshaw back in the good old days. 100%. Um, When Saquon went down, a lot of people were like, oh, no, this is the end of our season. And I was like, yeah, but like we got we we still got some other things going on. And while I was devastated when they were like, yeah, Saquon's done for the year, I was like, God, like that's this is the last thing that we need. But Gallman has stepped up to the plate. I mean, like we and we even signed Devontae Freeman and he's. He's hurt, I think, now. Yeah. And I'm like, why? Like, now we're like, 
struggling on our run game and and that's not what we want because we do have very strong run game even if our offensive line doesn't make a hole for them sometimes but that's another point but <laughs> Wayne Gallman, Wayne Gallman like we saw in this game had two touchdowns really great and when Saquon comes back and they keep Gallman and him together I think that our run game is going to be one of those like unstoppable run games like like the Vikings have like with Dalvin cook and the saints have with Alvin Kamara. Like we use Saquon the same way that the, that the saints use Alvin Kamara where every once in a while he becomes a receiver and to have Saquon almost like as a receiver and Gallman in the backfield as a running back at the same time. I think that that would be like, everybody would be like, Oh my God, what's going on. And now all of a sudden we can do anything at this point. So I definitely think that Saquon coming back is going to be great. And keeping Gallman is going to be even better. Not to mention we have Alfred Morris stacked on our depth chart too. So if we rewind five years ago, this is 2015. Our backfield is fantastic. Freeman and Morris, they were like two of the top 10 rushers in the league. So it's crazy to even think about. And fun fact, I mentioned before, there were no turnovers in this game. Uh, There was also no touchdown passes thrown in this game. This is the first time there was no touchdown passes thrown and no interceptions thrown in a Giants-Eagles game since October. I didn't even put that together. Yeah, neither did I. I didn't even think about that. October 28th, 2002 on Monday Night Football. That was uh, that was actually the last Giants Eagles game played at the old vet. Fun fact, also. Oh wow! Two thousand. We just our head the same way at the same time. We were both like, wow. <laughs> it was, well, it was also the last Monday Night Football game ever played at the vet. Believe it or not. Wow, that's crazy. So, Hank, let me see if you can stump me here on this. Do you know who the starting quarterbacks were for the Giants and the Eagles in that game? Yeah. Oh yeah, Donovan McNabb and Kerry Collins. Wow. Pretty good. Pretty now good. I know who to bring to trivia night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we do have like that throwback because we started doing the show before the season started. It was kind of like a throwback Thursday theme giant show. So we'll throw in these ridiculous oh, cool. facts. And if you, want, and if you ever want awesome. to get the chance, check out those episodes, 2000, 2002, 2005, pretty underrated teams in giant history. Like the 2000 team, the one that made it to the Super Bowl, that was a pretty good one. But when you when you consider what happened in 2007, 2011 with Eli Manning, that team kind of gets pushed back, like within the memory. But if you really look at those teams from the Jim Fossler and even Eli Manning's rookie year, they were pretty solid. Like going back and looking at them, agreed. I think another key takeaway from this game: this division is now officially wide open. I still think I, last week I had Philadelphia 80 and like Giants 20. Now it shifted for me: Philadelphia 70, Giants 30. I think Especially I don't, since you guys keep getting divisional wins, I think. Three, yeah, yeah. I, I think that I, in the end, if we keep losing these divisional games, I think it's because we already lost to Washington Week One. I think that gives you guys a big advantage. Yeah, Jordan Whoa. and I were talking about that in my podcast episode. The fact that I was like, I don't even care what our record ends up being at this point. We are like just killing the divisional games, and if we end up coming out on top of this division because it is possible that we can get into the playoffs with six or seven wins. And if the rest of the divisional games, yeah, or five. Yeah. Which is so sad. Yeah. And I mean, we we only have the Cowboys, which is our last week, right? I believe that's our last divisional game. If we win that, like 
and like one other game in between. I mean, we play the Bengals after our bye week. Mm -hmm. I personally adore Joe Burrow, but I have to root for the Giants in that. And if we can come out on top in that game, come out on top in the Cowboys game, which is completely possible because the Cowboys in and of itself is just, you know, falling down a very dark hole. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's very possible that the Giants, not that we're going to get far, but end up in the playoffs. Yeah, Eagles, we still have Seahawks, Saints. Um, oh, my God, I'm totally blanking. The Browns. Packers. Browns, who are good. Packers. First and first last year, yeah. It's We're in dangerous, dangerous territory here. Yeah, definitely. Paul actually has a – one of our watchers has a question for you. Do Does he start Fulgham in fantasy this week? I think so. I think so, especially because our say we got our Sega Whiteside and Hightower back, but now they are on the COVID reserve list. I don't know if they're going to play, and if they play, I don't think they're going to be practicing this week. Fulgham, other than this week, Fulgham has been our guy consistently, so I think you can trust him. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, the, the discussion is before we kind of make our predictions for like the NFC East, the Giants are definitely not the most talent team, talented team in the division. But are they the best coached? I think this question isn't necessarily an easy one. I think we might have a little disagreement here with well, me and Hank. Yeah, I mean, you know, being a homer, I want to say yes, but there's really only one team that I think you can dispute that, and that's Ron, that's Ron Rivera of Washington. Yes, that's what I was going to say as well. Washington, so I don't like, you know, miss. I know I always get bleeped. <laughs> Sam always has to bleep me. Washington, Washington. You don't want to know what I've been calling them. <laughs> yeah, let's no. not go there. No. <laughs> but no, I think what he's doing, because that team was scraps, like bits and pieces that could mm-hmm. not work. And what he is doing with them, granted, Kind of like what I just said about the Giants. They're not a good team yet, but yeah. he is making it work with what they have. And even them almost beating the Lions last week. I was like, what is going on here? Yeah. yeah for no, sure. I totally agree. Uh, that was like the first, when I, when you said that, I was like, okay, now I got to go through the coaches in my mind. And the first one that came to my mind was Mike McCarthy. And I was like, no, um, <laughs> no. And then I, yeah, and then I was like, okay, but Ron Rivera is in Washington, and Jordan and I are big Ron Rivera fans. Yes, like, we were we uh, were working together. We were just like every single time we were just like, yep, there's Ron Rivera. We love Ron Rivera. So when he's we our dad, him, he'll be in. Yeah, he's our he's our football dad. Yeah. Um, one of them. He wow. when he ended up in Washington, like we both were like are you kidding? Like now we have to like semi kind of feel some sort of rivalry towards him. Yeah. It's tough. But, and the fact that he just went through all these cancer treatments as well. My God. With all of these factors going against Washington and Alex Smith coming back from this devastating leg injury, which he shouldn't even be playing football. I don't even know how he's yeah. out there doing that. His poor wife watching every game, like with her eyes closed. I feel oh terrible. God. I can't even imagine. But yeah, I think that it would definitely be figuring that Joe Judge and Ron Rivera are both in their first years of coaching these teams. I would say, okay, yeah, like it's a little bit of a 
discussion and a bit of a debate. But if Ron Rivera had been at this team for like a year or, or past year, two years, I would say Ron Rivera off the bat because he is 100%. a fantastic coach. I think long term it could be judged potentially, but right now it's easily Ron Rivera. I don't think there's much of an argument. Hank, Hank kind of convinced me a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I think it might be him, to be honest. But I still, I, you can't take away what Joe Judge has done. He has been unreal. And, you know, I'm going to bring back a comment that Joe Judge said before the season. He, he compared it to his family coming to America. They came with little. They made do with what they had. And they did well. Yeah, hundred percent. Like he's going to do well with the Giants too. Um, Patrick Graham is great too. We got to give him a lot of credit. Where for his defensive schemes, people laughed at us trying to implement that New England Baltimore defensive scheme, but here we are. You know, it's crazy to even think about right now. Um, we kind of make the most of what we have on our roster, but. Um, one of the last things we're going to talk about here is our NFC East. I, I kind of made a graphic so we could visually see it and don't have to guess, but this is our, well, this is each team's record and their remaining schedule. So I'm looking at it right now and I see multiple things. I see that Washington doesn't have, probably has the easiest in my opinion. Because the Giants don't have it easy. Philadelphia definitely doesn't have it easy. And Dallas is Dallas at this point. I think (laughs) Dallas is out of the race. Even though the Giants have beat Washington twice, I don't think Washington is out of the race. I don't think they are either. I said before we played this game, I said I was most scared of Washington. Now I'm freaking terrified because now I'm scared of Washington and the Giants. (laughs) But they're both, like you said, I think this is wide open. 100%. Uh, Sam, what do you make of this graphic? Based off these schedules, does anything stick out to you? Um, Definitely. I definitely agree that Washington has it easier here. Um, I mean, apart from, I think, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is, like, weird because even though they're undefeated, I still think that they're almost like a stick of dynamite and they could, like, lose at any second. Um, And I think that Seattle would be the only other thing. But other than that, yeah, I think that they're – they could come out on top on some of these. Um, and with our schedule, I mean, Arizona, I'm petrified of. And um, because they are just with DeAndre Hopkins and that catch last week, I'm absolutely petrified of them. And Baltimore, I could, I would be a little bit afraid of. But in terms of the Eagles schedule, yeah, no, that's, um, I'm sorry, Jordan. I just don't see that happening. No. And, <laughs> and the no. Cowboys, yeah, I've just completely written the Cowboys off at this point, unless Garrett Gilbert or whatever his name is, like comes out and like as some like hero of the, of Dallas, Texas, I don't even consider, I would think that Washington would be the thing that we should be most afraid of right now and Philadelphia, but we don't play them anymore. And we don't play Washington either, but... I think in order for the Giants to win it, what needs to happen is we have to beat Cincinnati. Um, yeah. And the... the uh, ugh, I can't pronounce the name. The entertainer, Chris Guzzo, who was on our show last week, the YouTuber, um, he was saying that the Giants have to beat Philly, beat Cincinnati, beat either Arizona or Cleveland, because both of those games are home. We must take one of those games and then beat Dallas. We could afford to lose to Seattle... Arizona and Baltimore, but we need to split, go three and three, 
and maybe go six and ten. The problem is I could see the Eagles easily beating Dallas and Washington again, especially since Washington is at home. And then the Saints may still have Jameis Winston playing in four weeks from now. We don't know the significance of Drew Brees' health. And then you guys brought it up on your podcast this week. Nobody in the NFC knows if they're good or not. Yeah. The Chiefs are really the only the Steelers. You mentioned that both of you, the only two teams in football that you can say they're really good. So Yeah, no, we 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 literally were going over that in my podcast episode because it's just like we're constantly saying and it's just it's not even in the NFC East. It's almost over the course of the entire <laughs> entire <laughs> league. Um, Gabe, you're distracting me. So um uh miles. Yeah, so we've been um, we've been going um, on and on about which teams are good, which teams aren't good. Like it's weird, and the NFC East is so bad, but they're so bad that they're getting good, and that yes. this this division is like weirdly entertaining now, um, which is strange. But yeah, this this year is just weird. It's going to come down to the last week of the season hands down like it's going to be one of those and I honestly feel like we're going to get ourselves into a situation where it's going to be like all right this team has to win this game but this team has to lose that and it's we're going to be watching all of these games until the clock runs out to determine who takes the NFC East I'm convinced we are all too close for comfort right now Mm -hmm. we are um Hank I know you wanted to ask Sam another thing and then we'll touch on DeAndre Baker and then start to wrap things up yeah, I wanted to ask, Jordy, what would you make of Philly's chances to bounce back and still take the division? I know I'm kind of in the same boat as Tom, as in even though the Giants won, I'm still kind of in the mindset of, oh, Philly probably has the best chance. And I got to say, that tie could probably come back and help them should should it come down to it at the end of the season. I – so – Obviously, I have, I feel like all Philly fans have this, and you guys probably do too, where for some, Sam knows how I am. I still always have this hope for them. Like, I still, because they do very well as underdogs. Like, when it's impossible, games they should never, ever win, those are, we lose games that we should win, and we win games that we should 100% lose. So part of me still has this weird sense of faith that we could win majority of the rest of our games and then make it kind of easy for ourselves. So I'm very torn with trying to be realistic and taking in where we are right now and how terrible we look right now, like being blatantly honest, but then also knowing our history and knowing that we do pull through in big moments. So it's really a coin toss for me right now. It's like every day I feel a little bit different. Sorry, sorry if I interrupted before you. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, you know, it's funny that you should mention that because I feel like not just with Philly. Are you a fan of like, are you like four for four with Philly sports out of curiosity? Yes. I feel like in other sports, your other Philly teams kind of do the same thing. Yes. They they win championships or win games where they're not supposed to. A la Flyers making it all the way to the cup finals in 2010 when they they beat us in that shootout on the last day of the season. And then you and then you had the Phillies when it, going on their run of the World Series. Yes. So, so being, a, being a Philadelphia, I feel like that's a Philadelphia fan, thing under like yes. when you're not supposed to. Yes. No. Being a Philadelphia sports fan is the most painful thing to ever experience ever because 
It's you literally every single, we have to trust the process every <laughs> single game, every single week. Like you never know what you're going to get. And when you start to look good, then you're suddenly bad. And then when you're terrible, you randomly do good and it gives you hope again. It's an endless cycle of pain that sometimes works out. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I do think there's a game or two on the schedule. The Eagles could take that on paper. They probably would lose. On, on paper so uh and then andy hopper says the giants are taking the east and then i know we touched upon this question earlier does philly cover versus the browns this weekend so philly should not cover the browns they should not but my and this is also this might be being biased and it might be my hope with how terrible we played this week i feel like we might have this sense of urgency where we have this is a must-win game for us honestly for like our mojo there's a chance that we cover it's only i believe three and a half right now yeah and i think it could come down to another very very close we're in it till the very end game even if we lose so there's definitely a chance i'm staying away from it just because i don't want my heart to overcome my head and that tends to happen when it comes to them. Right. But also for some reason, especially with Fletcher Cox, I don't know if he's going to play right now. He's still on our injury report and we've lost a lot of people due to COVID. We have a lot of people on the COVID reserve list. For some reason, we tend to do better when our scrubs come out. Like we have a great practice squad and our practice squad wins this game. So who, I don't know what's going to happen this weekend. You could see one of those games where our practice squad wins it for us. And I would not be that shocked. To put in an outside aspect just real quick, the Browns do really well against teams that are struggling, though, for some That's reason. That's true. Yep. Yeah. So that might be the also Browns are good. to think about. Yeah. Yes. We actually had a Browns guest on our other show last night. Uh, he's like the founder and CEO of Cleveland Sports Talk, Zach Schaffron. So he, he, he didn't seem very confident. Uh, I'll put it to you that way. I guess when you're used to losing all those years, it's... It's right. hard to believe that they're like a solid good team right now. The under is probably the best play. I th- I the under is definitely your best bet. Yeah. Taking the spread is a tough one, especially because you see the NFL memes with the Browns where it's like you are here and it's like you're either good or you're great. And it's the same for the Eagles. So yeah. this game yeah. is a total toss up. It is. And um, by the way, Tom. Go ahead. Before you get yeah. to your next point, I do have mm-hmm. a fun fact. So, another Dude. trivia question. Tom, do you know when the last time the, the Cleveland Browns beat the Philadelphia Eagle was? Um, I'm pretty sure 1994. That is correct. And their head coach, you might have heard of him. His name is Bill Belichick. I don't know. I guess he did okay. Maybe. Sorry, who? Who? I don't know who that is. Uh, he might. He might have won a Super Bowl with us as defensive coordinator years ago. Maybe like 1990. His game plan might be in the Hall of Fame. It's okay. No big deal. I think that's what he's most famous for. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I, I, I wasn't around to see that game, but anyway, um, I was negative six, but I've seen the film. Great team. <laughs> so, Sam, I know we just want to touch upon a couple points here before we sign off. DeAndre Baker found not guilty on all charges of armed robbery and signs with the Kansas city chiefs. Do you think the giants were right and not bringing him back? Yes. Get rid of him. That's toxic, toxic, toxic. I, we, it's like, um, kind of like how Antonio Brown is right now. It's like wherever he goes, it's just like, 
you know, he just brings all that energy with him. I was like, no, I don't even want to deal with him anymore. I don't care if he's good. I don't care if he's bad. If you're it, literally the story behind it, whether or not he's guilty or not, is that some two guys literally robbed a cookout in Florida and it wasn't like some like weird, you know, upper scale betting thing that like they do under the ropes or like, but like, no, like these people straight up went to a cookout and like robbed them. And I was like, and I think the other guy that was with him was Quentin Dunbar, which, which, oh, but it wasn't him. Cause he also got, you know, didn't have any charges against him, but yeah, no, I definitely think that we don't really need that kind of drama. Um, same thing like with getting rid of Odell. He never got into like trouble like that, but he always caused drama everywhere that he went. And I was like, it's just, it just doesn't, we don't really need that. And Joe judge seems like the type of guy who's like a no nonsense kind of leader. So I don't know if he even would have done well in terms of the authority figures on our team. So yeah, no, I I'm, I'm completely fine with not having him anymore. That's yeah, I think yeah. Joe Judge, if you look at, if you read in between the lines with what he said about the Baker incident, I think you could, he obviously did not want him on his, this team. And I think had the Giants signed him, it could have made for a very awkward situation. It could have really disrupted a lot of chemistry. So, yeah, from to me, for me, the, the answer is obvious. No chance we were going to re-sign him. Not, none. And, yeah. yeah, I like your point about Odell, too. I don't think he would have fit in well under Joe Judge at all. In mm-hmm. fact, not to mention, I think unlike... Ben McAdoo, he probably would have wanted to throw him into the swamps in New Jersey if he pulled another Beach Boys act. <laughs> well, some Chiefs fans are excited for DeAndre Baker, as there's one right there, Paul Lombardi. And Andy says, hammer the under on that game this weekend. So, lovely stuff. And then Sam and Hank, of course, Riley Dixon and Casey Kreider are added to the COVID-19 list because they were in close contact with Graham Gano. So, there have been some roster moves uh, on the practice squad right now and former giant and long island native jake carlock signs with the atlanta falcons this week uh went to school with him so that's why i'm mentioning that and then the last topic for tonight is mark colombo our offensive line coach and he was fired following an argument with joe judge was replaced by dave du guglielmo who previously coached under tom coughlin and Coach Cameron Fleming in New England under Joe Judge from 2014 to 2015. And then he is responsible for the amazing Colts offensive line in 2018. And this goes out to all three of you. I mean, I don't know, Jordan, how much you followed the argument that happened with Colombo and Judge. But um, was this coaching staff forced upon Judge or was this Judge taking control of a situation he didn't like? Because I have my opinion on it, but I want to hear from you guys first. Um, I guess from my point of view here, um, yeah, this was definitely things that Joe Judge was working with. And um, he, like, from what I heard, he went up to Colombo and said that um, he wanted, um, I don't know how to say his name, the Giggly What is it? Yeah, like Italian name. Yeah, okay. So him and he was like, they were going to work together. And Colombo didn't like that. So... Uh, on the spot joe judge was like all right then you got you gotta go and i think that that kind of adds to that no nonsense leader um that joe judge is and i think it kind of solidified him as almost like the guy of the giants right now because a lot of people really i don't think they were even 
second guessing Joe judge at this point, they were just like, yeah, he's just the coach and making this kind of really big move and a move that's like on the spot because you're not doing something that he wants you to do. It definitely solidified him as like this very intense leader that this giants coaching staff definitely needed. Jordan, what do you think? Yeah, I didn't know too much about the argument. I just knew there was an argument and someone was fired. But going off of what Sam said, that's kind of what I took from it as well. Not necessarily there was any wavering away from Joe Judge, but I think this was just him showing how things were going to work and he wasn't going to take nonsense. He wasn't going to take it. And it's pretty much like my way or the highway. And he was solidifying this as my team. And I think that was a smart move, especially in your first year. Yeah, um, I know, Hank, you were at work when this happened. My personal opinion on it is why has the Giants offensive line improved over the last few weeks? Because Joe Judge has been directly working with them in practice on the sideline. Colombo needs help. And if you're not going to, you know, take the help that is offered to you. And I don't even think Colombo should have taken it as personally as he did because it's probably not him. Maybe it is a little bit, but 100% it's not him. It's the youth of that offensive line. It's just developing now, and you want to bring in, like, a senior assistant type of guy to help out. Like, they have uh, Shaplinski, who's the quarterback's coach, like an offensive senior assistant. I don't think it was anything against Colombo personally. I just think it was the way he reacted. But Joe Judge is the reason why the O-line has improved, in my opinion, not really Colombo. That's just my opinion on that. Yeah, and you know what? I want to add another thing to this. There was something I saw on Twitter shortly after, like I was in the break room at work when I got the news, as Tom mentioned, like I was like scrolling through Twitter. I'm like, why did he get fired? And then obviously seeing that Joe judge had something to do with it, it made complete sense. And then, you know, it made me think of something that Bill Parcells once said, he's like, if you're in charge of this, you got to take charge and make sure you get things done your way. If you want to succeed at certain times. And I think that's exactly what Joe Judge did. And and I, I hate to really compare these two, but if you look at Parcells and Joe Judge, like Bill said that he, he didn't like he, he didn't do things his way. He wasn't himself that first year. In fact, the Giants were three twelve and won his first year as coach. Joe Judge is only in his first year. He's doing things his way. He's creating a new culture. He is using his voice. He is like doing everything he can to make losing not tolerable. Like that's another example of him taking charge. And you know what? I I applaud him for doing what he did because Mark, like I I think it was totally overreacting. And if he's, if he's going to complain about it, then goodbye. Andy Hopper said best place to get news, the break room. Good job, Hank. Uh, Shout out Andy (laughs) Hopper. Make sure to go follow the brew party. Check out his stuff. The, they, um, they have a good time on their podcast. I'll actually be joining him tomorrow for a college football show, so that should be fun. Thank you very much for watching us, Andy. And then, um, yeah, it's going to be crazy. Giants going into a bye week. A lot of defensive players hurt. Tay Crowder, O'Shane Zimenez, Ryan Lewis, probably all likely to come back. And Sam Xavier McKinney might make his Giants debut in Week 12 against the Bengals, so that should be a lot of a lot of fun. But, um any thoughts on that or anything you would like to add heading into the bye week? 
Um, I just think that this is the best time for us to be having a bye week right now, coming off a win, you know, some possible COVID situation stuff going on. We definitely need a break. We definitely need this bye week to kind of recuperate. And I definitely think coming back from that bye week um, to the Cincinnati Bengals, which can be very, very good. Joe Burrow puts up amazing numbers every week. But um, I think that that's definitely a team that we need to follow up a win with, which we we possibly might get another win with that game. So I definitely think this is the best time for us to be having our bye week and for our upcoming schedule, apart from, you know, Arizona and and Seattle and and all those games. Jordan, anything you would like to add? Um, you guys absolutely outplayed us on last Sunday. So it was well-deserved. I know it's, it hurt me a lot because it's been, four years since I've had to experience that kind of pain, but you guys totally deserved it. So congratulations. Thanks. Welcome. I'll be honest with you. It's a very tight rivalry. Giants now win their 699th game as a franchise. So they're going for number 700 against the Philadelphia Eagles. And Andy has one more comment saying he would love to get both of you on the party as well, um, he does like a, like some feature stuff, like asking how you became a fan. He did it with me and Hank. So, if you're ever interested, I can connect you guys up with them. And yeah, um, yes, yeah that would be awesome. Yeah, he's a great fan to talk sports with. Ten out of ten would recommend. That's awesome for sure. Yeah, that sounds great. And then your mom asks, "We'll be on Thanksgiving?" Uh, no. So next <laughs> week, Hank, I think we're doing Friday night, correct? Uh yeah, Friday I, night, yeah. Either, yeah. Wednesday, either Wednesday or Friday. Check our social media. We will inform you guys. But Sam and Jordan. We're talking about next week, right? Yes, next week. Next week. And, yeah, no, I'll definitely be down to do it on at night for sure. Sounds good. Um, Jordan and Sam, thank you both so much for joining me. Uh, joining us, us tonight. Yeah, thank you for having us. Any, yeah, any no, final Uh, yeah, I mean, you guys are both great tonight. Any final thoughts you'd like to add? Sorry, there's a little lag there. It's all no, good. It's no, okay. I, I don't really have much. I, I've I've spewed out as much Giants Eagle stuff as I possibly can. <laughs> yes, I'm tired of reliving this game. Yeah, we, we I went, need to heal. <laughs> we went pretty long, but thank you both so much for joining us, and we'll have to have you back on again soon. Appreciate it. All right, thank thanks, guys. You. Have a good night. Okay. That was Sam Cardona and Sporty Jordy. Make sure to go check out their stuff and a couple of plugs for both of them. Again, the Girl Who Talks Sports podcast, that's where you could find Sam. And then you can follow Sporty Jordy at her YouTube channel as well, at Sporty Jordy. Follow her on Instagram. Um, And I don't know if she has a Facebook page, but I believe, I know she has Instagram and um, her YouTube channel. So, Make sure to go follow her and check her content out. And Andy says, Hank, stop making me blush. And uh, our coworker, Kevin De La Rosa, says, great show, everyone. Thank you very Andy, much. Andy, I'm Kevin. just trying to help a brother out. You know how it is. <laughs> Hank, any final thoughts? This was a great show tonight. Probably our best one so far. Yeah, this was definitely one of my favorites, especially coming off a win over my personally, personally my least favorite team. I, I've said it a number of times. Most people think it would be the Dallas Cowboys. No, for me, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. They're Red Sox level of dislike, basically, for me. And and yeah, Sam and Jordy, thank you both for coming on the show. You both made 
were spectacular. You both provided great insight. And to all those who commented, thank you again. It's you guys who really make the show going. And Tom, as always, thanks again for having me join you to talk about our beloved G-Men. And I cannot wait for next week, and I cannot wait for the next game the Giants play. But for now, I'm going to enjoy a nice, relaxing bye week. That's about all yeah. I have to say. Tom. You know, it's been a lot of fun doing this show tonight. And, Hank, on behalf of you, Jordan, and Sam, we'd like to thank all our watchers and listeners to tuning into our show tonight. We really do appreciate it. We will be back next week, either pro- probably Friday night at 7. Just so you know, now it's going to be mm-hmm. a great show. We're going to preview the Cincinnati Bengals game, and we won't have anything to recap. So we will have a guest on and then talk some Giants Bengals. Hank, thank you very much for joining me. On behalf of you, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long, everybody. Have a good evening. You've been watching Big Blue Avenue here on Facebook Live at Review and Preview Sports. Good night, everybody.